right with Wayne Post Bayern Bayern four United three. Not sure the scoreline really tells the story of that game though. No, there's the saying, isn't there? If you can't be good, be lucky. United are bad and unlucky. They they're bad in terms of like the their general performance, and then they do not get the rub of the green in any kind of situation. Everything just seems to be hapless and yeah. you know like yeah, is it unlucky Gil from Gil from the Simpsons when they, nothing goes right for him yeah um, there's definitely some of that my, yeah yeah, and, and, yeah it was that that was the case tonight scoreline flatters us a little bit That's a, I thought about this obviously this is an instant reaction and maybe I'm I'm a little bit harsh in saying it flatters us. Maybe it needed another 12 hours for that madness to marinate. That's sort of like last... No, we, I think that's right fair. For... I mean, by a 60% possession, most of the best chances, it's... Yeah. It, yeah. I mean, when, when I think United were closer than what they were, I'm basing that on the way that we scored a couple of goals late on and the fact that we started the, the half, the first half quite well. Yeah. But... In terms of the general balance of the play and the fact that they missed three very good opportunities, um, then yeah, it, yeah, what I'm basing could have been better for United. It could have obviously been much worse as well. So, well, the, the bad luck uh, is probably should have scored very early on with Palestri and Ericsson and you know, bounce the ball goes a slightly different way. And maybe that would have been, been the case. Davies took a massive risk in diving through the player and. And also the handball, which yeah. I, any reading of Rule 12 on handball, it's really just, it's really hard to come up with why that's giving us a handball. And I know we've seen it. We've benefited from it, haven't we, in the Champions League? Like Marcus Rashford against Paris Saint-Germain, although that was yeah. well above the head. It says, I'm just going to read it out so we can like have some context. It's an offence if a player deliberately touches the ball with the hand arm, for example, moving the hand arm towards the ball, and, and the arm counts as anything below the armpit. Touches the ball with a hand arm when it has made the body unnaturally bigger. Don't think that's true in Ericsson's case. It's in front of him, basically. A player is considered to have made their body unnaturally bigger when the position of the hand arm is not a consequence of or justifiable by the player's body movement for that specific situation. By having their hand arm in such a position, player takes a risk of their ham- hand arm being hit by the ball and being penalised. And I think, like, it's very hard to read that and go, yeah, that's a pen. Yeah. And, and like, often often that's true. But in this case, I think that uh, that's probably a mistake by the referee. And, uh, if it was the Premier League, Howard Webber would be dancing out to the microphones right now to make a deep-felt apology, I have no doubt. Uh, but th- that's the only reason why you'd say it was kind of unlucky. Really? Yeah. You know, it's we actually it's got a couple of bizarre goals, really. No one marks Casemiro for number three. Casemiro treads on the ball, falls on his ass, and you know throws his swinger at it for number two. Um, big deflection for number one. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. like I said, there's there's luck on both sides, and you could say, but look, we're not grumbling that United should have got something from the game. I think that much it was definitely beyond us. It's a funny thing watching. You know, well, it will be a funny thing. It was good in a way that it was Bayern first because that's a real 
sort of test of where United are, Spain are one of the elite. So this is like a lot, I'm not going to go on too much longer around with this because this is you're going on one long divergent point away from the actual point of the match. But Bayern are an elite European team, but Manchester City are the elite European team. And what I mean by that is obviously Premier League and, and Premier League teams in general and Manchester City in specific are stronger than most European teams at the moment. Bayern Munich are still an elite European team. I don't know where they fit because I've not seen us in that context for quite a while. So it was interesting to see that, see United's competition in in that regard. I think probably, and again, knee-jerk reaction, I think from what I've seen, it's probably fairer to say that United's true European standard is probably reflected in their achievements last season than the qualification for Champions League football this season. But again, I'm not sure if I'm basing that on European quality as a whole, um, yeah. rather than ra- rather than our standing in in the Premier League, and and that's what makes this an interesting thing. But I still look at United. I think, all right, well, we were close tonight, and we were missing five or six, well, four or five first team players. But I still think if you put our strongest side out, all right, this is hypothetical because we don't know how that would have gone. Do I expect to see United? Man for man, we're as good as that Bayern team if they had the strongest side out. No, I don't. And I think they probably need another four or five to get to that kind of standard. It takes something, doesn't you, it? You, uh, you look at the team and go, yeah, we could do with spending another 400 million on them. <laughs> so, yeah, and I don't... But, don't, but I know I what you mean. United are not a, a European elite standard, obviously. I mean, that's not, you know, not much of a stretch to say that. We'll see where the Bayern are because Bayern have gone out in the quarterfinal last couple of years and yeah. they haven't looked at elite European standard either. They brought Harry Kane to try and elevate them to that standard. But it, like all is not happy in paradise at Bayern. Tuchel, uh, wasn't it one of the Bayern executives who said it, it's not been love at first sight? They haven't really gotten yeah. with Tuchel. They haven't appreciated the fact that he's been pushing hard to get players that the sporting director doesn't believe they need. He's been vocal. In his criticism of Joshua Kimmich, one of the world's best number sixes, saying he's not a number six. Uh, Kimmich himself has said, I am. This integration of Kane, which has gone well. And and they started the game, Bayern, quite static, I thought. You know, and by the end, yeah. they were doing the flicks and tricks and taking the piss out of us a little bit. But yeah. not not for the first 20 minutes, they weren't. You looked at that Bayern team and you were like, OK, you can see why they haven't started the season that that well drew at the weekend drop points yeah. already and so on yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. hard to benchmark just, isn't it it is but I, I still think united have got this long-standing problem that predates it's probably a, a problem that problem that came up around the Solskjaer period so I, I don't think i remember it in, in Mourinho and van gaal's time is that united and i think i mentioned it on this pod before they play up or down to the opposition that they're playing against you know what i mean they, they look like a mirror so when they're playing anyone, because I think it's probably fair to say that United have been outplayed in every single game that they've played this season, they yeah. still look like they're close to that team. So against Wolves, it looks like a, a keenly fought game. Um, against Forest, it looks like a keenly fought game. Against Spurs, it did for, for even Arsenal. It looked like it was for, fairly for a tight half against Spurs. But, yeah, and, and, and but you're looking at it and thinking, well, you can tell the class difference. And then again tonight. Four periods, it looks like, well, United are giving as good as they're getting, but 
you know that there's the critical differences that you see, and, and we know because we're familiar with the flaws of this United team that, first of all, they have the confidence hit where they, they concede one, they, they're very likely to concede another because they can't pick themselves off the canvas quick enough. And then if, when they do get something back in the game, if they're not completely on it, they can collapse straight away. We see it yeah. like frighteningly often. Yeah, yeah. I, and it's kind of, I don't know how to, I don't know how to account for that because uh, we could say, oh, it's about the mentality of the players, but the players that Ten Hag has brought in, he talks all the time and recently and frankly about standards, right? So, and yeah. he, and many of them are players he knows, has directly worked with or been players he, he, uh, been in the same league or whatever, right? He knows them and they're very much, he's driving this. And so if we question the mentality of them, we question the mentality of the manager as well. And the players bef- that are left over from the Oli era, well, those are the players that went unbeaten on the road for like 29 games in a row and were constantly coming back. So I don't quite know how to say this is a mentally weak side, but I look at them and what they do and it really feels like it. And I don't mean to like simplify this and be reductive about it. Uh, and go, oh, it's all about passion. But it, it's something about, you know, those moments when you really need to hold firm, when you need to not give away the stupid goal, when you need to keep your shape, <laughs> like when you've just scored and you might be back in the game, don't g- concede one like three minutes later. Like those yeah. things. And it just seems to happen way too often. And I'm sure Ten Hag, well, if he had hair, he'd be pulling it out. He doesn't. So, yeah. you know. Yeah. It's yeah. It, it, that's really that's really hard to kind of work out. But then there's deeply worrying stuff away from like injuries, and you can kind of question preseason whether that was set up in the right way to get this team fit, and why they're getting so many muscle injuries at the moment, or medical department, which was questioned by Ragnik. He really that was one of his bones of contention. But really, really worrying is the players that are the senior pros that we should rely on, and. And, and especially in central midfield with Casemiro and Ericsson, who were both absolutely dog shit tonight. And you looked at, I looked at it beforehand. And I was like, Casemiro, Ericsson, Bruno, Kimmich, Musiala, Goretzka doesn't, doesn't look like a good match. And it shouldn't be the case, but United are way too open with that midfield. And that's why we lose on the road all the time. And Casemiro, I know he scored twice tonight, but apart from that, like, what did the Romans give to us apart from straight roads and canals and sewage and stuff? Like, what has Casemiro given to us tonight apart from the two goals? Because he was awfulness. Like, he just looks gone. I don't know what's happened to him. Someone needs to give yeah. him some spinach because he's he looks in deep trouble. Yeah. No, that's probably fair. And but I, I do look at Casemiro and I think when when he's this early in the season and when he's got such pedigree behind him. I'm still inclined to look at my my first uh, train of thought is who are the players around him? Who's helping him? Are they helping each other? And yeah, they're um, not. I think and it's true. Yeah. yeah, they're not. And I do think to sort of wrap around the point of what you were saying about not understanding the team's sort of mentality to sort of dip in the way that it does. I think it goes back because we're all talking about this cultural problem that United have got, and I do think it precedes Ten Hag and. There, there are problems with, of, by, by and large, he's done a great job at turning over the squad in terms of the players who are apathetic and simply not good enough. 
but there's still yeah. some apathetic and players who aren't good enough there. And I think that maybe that's where the rot is. Some of those players, unfortunately, are still getting game time um, because of lack of options. But even even then, it's head scratching, and that's probably why some other members of the squad are alienated or feel alienated in the way that they they do. But I do think I, I go back to Brentford last season, and he read them the right act, and he took them into training, and it was such a harsh reaction. But the the lesson was run. And again, I know you were saying about being reductive earlier, but sometimes the the simplest points are the ones where you you are reductive with it. And and the answer was United last season. It was run a little bit more and match the effort of your opponent because if you're at least doing that, even if you lose on quality, you you're not earning the wrath of the fans. And I don't tonight. That wasn't the problem tonight because if you look at the stats, and I only looked at them briefly, but United were pretty. They were pretty equal with Bayern for running and everything like that. The effort. It was a quality gap tonight, and and that's going to happen when you're playing in the Champions League. And to, to actually lose by a single goal now, um, it probably doesn't feel that bad considering the the problems that United have got. But the overall problems like that have been reflected over the season, and they were on show tonight, and they could well via the head on, on the weekend is that that should have been, the Brentford thing should have been a lesson to carry on and it's like these players need to be told every single week and I don't yeah maybe that is yeah. a managerial problem but I, I do think that the Tenag has been quite consistent with the discipline he, he's very much a he's had to be stick rather than carrot and obviously over time if you stick too much then the carrot you know what I mean it loses its yeah, sort of yeah. power but the the players should know that that that's the standard for them to set, and if they don't reach that standard, then the results will suffer. And all right, you can point the finger at the manager, but it still comes back to the players. They know the minimum standard, which is why they were so. That was the reason why we were battered by Brentford by Brighton because they were so static. And now, yeah, okay, I, I'm using that, and it's not the it's not the issue tonight, but it is in terms of the attitude, because I think sometimes you have a thing with the United where they, they put in or certain individuals, there's like, if, if they're not the worst player on the pitch, then their job is done. In the face of criticism, mm. if they're not the one getting the, the finger in the face. And so for some players, when they do experience being the worst player on the pitch for the first or the second time, like Anana tonight, you can see that he's taken that really badly. And I wonder how long that lasts until the finger gets pointed elsewhere. Because, yeah, all right, I think there were definitely at least two of those goals he should have done better with tonight. And I would pin some of that result result on him. But in three or four weeks, if he's still letting in more shots than he's saving, which is concerning for a goalkeeper, he's probably going to start turning around and saying, well, three players in the defence aren't players I yeah. should be playing yeah, with. Yeah. And, 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 and that's I'm what sure I mean for- about- yeah, and I'm I'm sure for him, the the fact that there's been so much turnover in the defence is is it's not a great introduction to a new team, is it? To have what currently three of the preferred back four out, yeah. um, and and so that's even not, so though, and even so, he clearly should. I mean, clearly, it's obviously the, the first one's horrendous. He he actually dives too early, gets down too yeah. early, and the ball goes over him. He's done that a it's, few times. Oh, man, that is the kind of thing I used to do when I played in goal when I was 14. <laughs> so I gave up on playing in goal because I realised I wasn't very good. 
You see, wasn't you see wasn't the, very um, good anywhere else on the pitch either. So you know, I'm a fine one to criticise players. But you see the the Sunday league clips that they put on on Twitter of goalkeepers theatrically diving late. This is the complete opposite. It's, and it, yeah, it's it's concerning because that I don't want to go on that sort of comparison with the hair. I think it's too early to do that. I think the straight reading of the stats of the too many shots are going in from too few shots that are being allowed. The, the percentages aren't, aren't great and they are extremely Yeah, worrying. they're not great. And, and they're not bad as, be, as bad as some uh, Twitter accounts are putting out for banter reasons. So, uh, including some totally random ones. But yes, he has not let 10 goals in from 12 shots, folks. So he has not. It's quite a lot more shots. But still, yes, it's not yeah. as good as it should be. So, yeah. And it is a concern because the, the piece about building up from the back, great. I mean... It is kind of funny, though, that he picks a pass into midfield and then one of Casemiro, Eriksson or Bruno goes for a Hollywood ball and we give it away. <laughs> so there's, yeah. there's, there's some irony there. We are still not very careful with possession, whether it's coming out from the back or going through midfield. Yeah. I mean, there's concerns all over the place, of course, because and I don't know how much the players buy into the sort of chaos narrative that we as fans and or pundits and or podcasters can happily sort of repeat the players may well be insulated from it i don't know maybe some of them are on the socials reading it and it's getting to them but you you wouldn't you wouldn't half like kind of like you can see it all as a package is what i'm saying you can see the the sales process not happening player suspensions player injuries change over in tactics and personnel and all of that and you can see it all as a package and go we're a bit of chaos around the club and as a as a macro piece, that's true, right? This is a club that does not feel as well run as, say, Bayern. And and they've had their challenges recently as well. The fans are not happy. But, you know, when you when you like zoom in just to the bit that's on the pitch, we can ask for and deserve, is this, is that the right word? More. And I think some of the basics going wrong, you, that's really concerning. You know, and I, I'm not like knee jerky and going, what? It's all on Ten Hag. Of course, there's there's more nuance to it than that. But there's some real basics there, just how to defend, how to stop those shots coming in. You know, conceding far too many shots and too many goals. Mm. And that's deeply concerning times. And we've got a good run coming up of games that look a bit easier than it has been. Yep. And I guess we could, but but now we're in 12 injuries and a massive loss of confidence as we go into those games that should, in theory, be easier, right? So it's not even as if it's a good time to be having that run mm -hmm. of supposedly easier games. No, exactly. And the, the thing is as well, you know, if you take tonight's game in isolation and just say that it happened exactly the way that it did, but say the rest of United's league form had been generally better, you would accept that tonight happened on the quality difference between the sides and you would have said all right Unon has made an error defensively we're missing a few players and we expect to lose at Bayern away because we're not yet good enough to win at Bayern away probably not good enough to expect to get a draw at Bayern away right um, so so those kind of things shouldn't be a surprise but it's when you look at the 90 minutes and even like you know, we, we've lost 4-3 and we could be talking about this in a way that 
in isolation, again, it's not the worst performance and it's not the worst result. But we'll, obviously, what we do suppose is we're analysing the trend and we're looking at the trend. And someone might say, oh, well, you've been a little bit harsh on the back of a 4-3 defeat because it was fairly narrow and that's probably, some might even think, better than what you might expect to get by in that we didn't get, uh, we weren't outplayed in the same way that we were against Brighton, for example. So you might say that, oh, that they've put up a good fight and, it, and it's an improvement from the weekend. But I think you're right in terms of the overall situation and, and the way that I, and I, we've seen so much turnover at the club and in, in regards to the playing squad. And I think sometimes I, I always feel a little bit cautious in sort of pointing the finger and saying this squad, this squad, because it's not the same squad as two years ago. And that squad wasn't the same squad as two years before that. Even if some of the stragglers remain and some of the problems are carried through in the way that I know, I don't know if you wanted to talk about this at some point, but Ollie's interview with Andy May. Yeah, yeah. In the, in we should the get so, yeah, yeah, so, but, but he was making the point about the attitude with some of the players and, and some of those players are still at the, the club. And it is kind of like one or two bad apples, not, not ruins the barrel, but the stench of it can linger on and it can affect the mood and morale so when things aren't going for you and you need everything to be pulling in the right direction particularly now because this is the time when the tabloids if they were inclined to put a a cracked crest on the the back pages of the newspaper this is this <laughs> is probably a good, it's probably a fair time to do it of of all the times that it's been done in the past because you know we're United, about another defeat away from me doing a cracked nqat badge <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you know, don't rule that out, Colin. Considering that he's born again Burnley on on Saturday, but oh, but God. Um, but but this is a time where you would say, all right, you know, United are in in crisis, and and then you do look at those players, and and again, all right, you're pointing the finger at the manager and everything like that, and he's culpable. I'm sure that there has been criticisms that are well founded over the last few weeks, and I've made a few myself about him because. The, the Midas touch from the early point of last season is kind of like the opposite at the start of this season. It seems like most of the decisions that he's, he's making are sort of running away from him. Not that I'm advocating any sort of change or anything like that. I just think it's just a, a run of bad luck. But I think you need then, in order to get everything pulling in the right direction, you need to better know or better utilise the squad that you should know better. And I think that's a problem that the previous managers haven't done because they haven't, the standards, what I'm talking about internally that need to be set are yeah. not bringing on Martial or not starting Martial. And I'm not like talking about just him in, I'm talking no, about no, him or players example, like yeah. him in general. And like, we know that his time's been and gone. You're not going to be getting results at Bayern Munich or getting results. You're not going to get a result from 2-0 down against Brighton by bringing on Martial, Brighton of all teams and Martial of all players, that's an oil and water situation. It's not going to help you. And it, yeah. it doesn't help the mood of the club moving forward. Whereas if you'd make the change, even just change the system up and bring Garnacho on and move another player around, you are all right. We might not have done quite as well tonight. We might not have done quite as well against Brighton. But what you're doing is you are now setting new standards that need to be followed in the future. You're ripping up mm. what had gone before. So you can start to move forward. And I don't think we're at that stage yet. I, I mean, like Tenog maybe should be at that stage. I don't think he is at that stage, but maybe that's where we need to be to start moving forward and to start eradicating 
some of this mood in the best way that he can do it because there are some things that he can't do and there are some things that he's not in control of there are things that he's in control of that maybe he's not dealing with in the best way possible and i think that you know sometimes you do need to take a step back to take that one or two steps yeah. forward and, and that is by by moving a couple of these players to a place out where the they're club. not going to be affected well yeah, yeah not even just out of the, the first squad. team picture yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Well, well, that's right. And I mean, he was very thin tonight, the bench, but I take your point. And he did give Palestri a, a go tonight, which, well, I, I mean, I'm guessing he, Palestri wasn't sent out on loan. So Ten Hag has got to have some level of confidence in him, but not enough to start him at the weekend. In, instead, changed the whole system around. Um, so he didn't yeah. have to start him. Started him tonight. Wasn't very good. Not that you could, not, you could label out any of the players out there, really, but it's not like he grabbed both. <laughs> Grab that opportunity with both hands. Then again, mm. away at Bayern, not exactly the the softest of, of landings in the Champions League for for Palestri. So, but I, I, I look, I, I totally tell what you mean. He's brought a lot of players in. They have managed to shift quite a few out. There is still more turner, turnover to be done, and you would hope that the players he's brought in are a good enough. And there's a lot of question marks over quite a lot of those players. Even so, and B mm. have the right mentality and buy into what Ten Hag wants to do and then the other question with Ten Hag on this mentality piece is it cannot all be stick forever because the players will get tired of that you know if you look at like uh, coaches like Mourinho or Conte who over their careers have like got players to run through brick walls for them as well as throwing the stick but in Mourinho's case became all stick and no no motivation you hope you hope that it's not Ten Hag and that he is able to to do the softest stuff too. I just, I don't know. He comes across as a technocrat. And I don't know whether that's like his way on the training field as well. You'd hope it's not. And there is a relationship he's there and he can understand the subtleties of like when he needs to read the right act and when he needs to cajole players or when he needs to motivate players in some other way. You know? And Because he can't all, not every player reacts the same way to you give me a fifth press up or you're out of the team as uh, allegedly happened with Sancho, or you were late for training, therefore you're on the bench, and it got a 30-goal season from Marcus Rashford. So, like, every player's the same. Yeah. Fergie was the master. Not everyone's Fergie. Ten Hag definitely yeah. isn't him. Uh, but you hope he has enough in the locker to to understand what motivates each player at any one time. Yeah. Mourinho's a good example, but I think in, in regards to the fact that he could afford to be all stick because... First of all, um, when he came to Chelsea, it was bankrolled to the effect that he was going to be automatically successful. And because of that sort of banker success, he built a reputation as being the reason for that success, even though that was largely unfair. And he just took the stick wherever he went, using that reputation as though that was the, the way that it was earned. Ferguson, I think there probably is a fair parallel in particularly the second wave of the turnover that Fergie had to manage, you know, with McGraw and Whiteside, because then he was all stick for a long time. Yeah. And I think maybe that is where Ten Hag is, and maybe he does need to be like that. I I've questioned that over the last few weeks, but maybe he does need to get like that. I think last season, he stuck with a lot of players all of the time, and I think that's enough carrot to sort of say, well, you're my players, I'll, I'll trust in you. And now, obviously, he's got to use some different ones, and 
he could have handled that better last season, but their opportunity is here and now. They're not reacting to it the best way. I know that certain players, certain former players have come out and talked about the difference in in today's player, you know, with agents and stuff like that. Like Ollie was doing that you can't always do it the same way. And maybe that is a, a key difference. But Ferguson then built relationships with those players after, and he was able, through control, through the affording of the time that was given to him, to be able to establish those relationships. And I think that is the critical hill what Tenog needs to get over. He needs to, first of all, be ensured that he's the one who's going to be able to navigate this next two or three year period, which isn't a given and shouldn't just be automatically given to him just because of this hypothetical situation that I'm saying. But in order to navigate this particular scenario, the best thing for him, the best thing for the club, is to be able to give him that opportunity to oversee that next transition of players yeah, in yeah. order to, yeah. to to sort of say, no, you've had your chances and now now I can build the relationships with the players who've stuck around. Yeah. Um, and, and yet that what might, will probably mean a lot of short-term pain, probably a pain that we weren't expecting to be feeling four or five months ago because we were thinking things were going in the right direction. The but app, yeah. Again, rem- again, I don't want to keep arcing onto the Fergie comparison. But Fergie finished second in his first full season, and that everyone had false expectations of where we were going to end up at that and point. So thirteenth the year afterwards, or something, wasn't it? So. Exactly. So you, we probably are at a similar stage in, in that. I mean, football is cyclical, and it isn't always the same. There are different compositions, different problems. Yeah, we've just been problems. in a, a, a ten-year downturn. We're <laughs> any, any, we're on the up. In ten years' time, we're going to be fucking fantastic. So. Yeah, exactly. Or, or maybe five. But the point is that they, obviously, I think a lot of us didn't anticipate how much short-term regression there would be in order to make these kicks on. But yeah. I mean, that probably happens when when you make as much turnover in the squad as we've done again this summer, and there was yeah. still a lot of turnover. That there's now a, a big disparity between the ones who he wants around and then the the stragglers who are in the squad, and yeah. you know, like Maguire and McTominay and. Martial, the players who didn't move on and they had the opportunity to move on, but they're still there. There's a big disparity because they know that they're not there for the long term. Really, they're not counted on for the long term. Even Sancho is becoming part of that latter squad now. Well, he I mean, very much is now, isn't he? And yeah. and look, I think that's it's a very fair assessment. It, it may be on the well. Let, let's say that's the uh, the bull case. The the bear case is United haven't played well since we won the Carabao Cup. Basically. Yeah. I mean, name, name a game. And Casemiro has been absolutely awful. And that is five months. Oh, yeah, five months. And, and I'm sorry just to pick on him because there are worse players than him. But he's, yeah, don't, he's don't, just... But I, I, I'm, fe- I'm feeling personally persecuted by your attack on Casemiro. <laughs> and I know I agree. And look, that and look, at, his, look at his chubby little face. He's, he's lovely. He's lovely, Casemiro. And I have... And there's not a bad bone in his body. I'm ab- absolutely certain about him. Just look at him. Little cherub that he is. But he just, he looks. He's but, not playing but, well. As, my, as one of my old managers used to say, ignore everything before the but, because then you're getting the real answer. But he's not playing well, and he's looking more than his age. And it's the thing that worried me most. I think I said after he joined on this here podcast, I hope I'm not making this up, but I don't think I am, that I was worried that he'd... Like already lost a step physically when he was at Real Madrid. That was my impression of him. I his, think he did say that, yeah. Yeah, in his last season that. at Real Madrid. And and he was really excellent the first half of last season. 
really excellent, uh, but perhaps better than I expected, much better than I expected, actually. And, and then it seems to have regressed, and I don't know what it is because he had the whole summer off, and so it shouldn't be tiredness. I'm just wondering what's, what's going on. Not had his halftime oranges for a while, that's for sure. So anyway, I'm not, I don't mean to have a go at him because really there's plenty of players you could have a go at for having a poor start to the season. And, and Eric takes some of the blame too. Anyway, shall we, shall we move on from that? There's 35 minutes talking about uh, another defeat, third in a row. A couple of interesting interviews this week. Well, one interview and one reporting. So Richard Arnold had a meet with United staff. Apparently quite a lot of it has leaked. Adam Crafton, he's the go-to man for leaks at Manchester United at the moment. Great reporter, Adam, doing his job properly. Also a United fan, by the way, so he's not out to get us. But if I was Richard Arnold, I'd be wondering why, A, and how all these leaks are coming out and cleaning house. Uh, But anyway, some of Richard Arnold's comments got leaked. Some perfectly fair. He said, like you, there will be short-term pain. Uh, they were happy with the progress, and he pointed to, even with the injuries, uh, players like Hannibal and Garnacho coming through and playing a more important part in the role in the team and so on. And then the thing that did make me chuckle, uh, he said, we were chasing down Manchester City. Yeah. As like, I'm sure there's some wider context to that. I'm sure I'm missing something there. Didn't feel quite right. That, that was a bit Woodwardian, that one. But anyway, what did, what did you make of, uh, of Arnold's comments? Yeah, that one. So the the point in general, obviously, it's a good thing that he's addressed the club. I, I don't think there's any news in that. Well, there is obviously. No, good every CEO has to have a town hall with his it, staff. You know, that's especially normal. especially yeah. after what's happened. So that's not not a bad thing. I do think, obviously, the city thing is probably just glossing, trying to gloss up what United. On the face of it, when you look at the numbers, he say, "Well, United kicked on last season." because they progressed from the hellhole of the previous season and they won a trophy. That is you true. Can't argue, you can't, yeah, you can't argue with that, but we're no closer to Manchester City and this summer we're further away from Arsenal than we were at the start of it. And that's probably the key point. And I don't know where we are. Well, the season will point us out where we are in terms of the comparison with the likes of Spurs and Liverpool, because the point was that we were supposed to be kicking on from from there. And oh, there are the other reports, you know, coming out about Harry Kane and how close that might have been if United made that move. I'm still not really sure about that because of Levy's reluctance to deal with us. I don't know how much difference it would have made. Just on that point, not to divert you, but there was the one report, I can't remember where it was, maybe in the mirror this week, that said, and it sounded like it come from the Kane camp, that he would have been prepared to wait for a year if United had given the signal. Don't know how true that is. Take that with a pinch of salt. It's a tabloid. Could be nonsense. Hey. Well, I I think if that had been the case, if those conversations would have been had, and I don't know, I'm, I'm just being a speculator that... Yeah, yeah. The, the United would have done that. Why wouldn't they have done that? If they won, if they were identifying him as a top target, um, why would they not have been willing to wait for a year? Maybe, maybe the the truth is in the the rebuttal when you're hearing the numbers from Kane's camp and you know, half a million for a player who half a million a week or whatever it was. It was five hundred k that they were saying. So a player yeah. in his who moved well into he'd moved into his thirties by that point. 
and yeah. they were saddling themselves with a long term contract. I don't know. Maybe that would have put you know, yeah, of course, and, they're, they're you definitely know, the part in the thinking. He's definitely a world class striker, one of the very best, and probably could play and will play well into that period of time. But I think United's transfer strategy is probably half based in the mistakes that they've made in the past. Do you know what I mean? Well, like, yeah. oh, can we afford yeah, yeah. to do that again? And look, and they did I, I mean, to younger players this summer, I think I'm right in time. We didn't bring any older ones in, did we? They're all fairly young. Yeah. So Kane, by the way, interesting thing that he did today, again, sorry to divert, but his positioning was well deeper than, than uh, Musiala's. And yeah. and well deeper than Bruno Fernandez, he's basically a auxiliary third man in midfield, um, yeah. and he's been doing that. But it doesn't seem to have taken away from his goal scoring. He's had a very good start to his time at Bayern on the goal scoring side. Helps you if you get soft as fuck pen, of course. Yeah, and if you play for Bayern in the Bundesliga, it also helps oh, because true. you can saunter up from. Yeah, back on the point about say, look, we are. We're nowhere near them. We're not closer to them than what we were at the start of the season. You know, no. If you're looking on a straightforward comparison of are we able to compete for the trophies in the same kind of way, obviously we're nowhere near that. We're not closer to it. We, uh, are we in fact, overalls- we're moving away off the pitch because they're spending another four hundred million on developing the empty head. So, like, chances of us spending four hundred million on the stadium right now are zero. Right, it, like. Can you get less than zero chance? That's the, how the much biggest, chance. Yeah. You could take, yeah, you can take the uh, the stadium, you can take the the stellar headline names at the squad, but United say the biggest difference between them, between them at the moment is City's capability to write off the players that United can't. I mean, yeah. and even talking I mean, to a point where... Just chuck Cancelo out, who yeah. 18 months ago, everyone was lauding as the best fullback on the planet, didn't get on with Pep, that stick means you're out of the club and you know, you can't do that. I mean, you're totally right. But even, but even to the point, now I'm not talking now about the players like Martial and Maguire, who, you know, obviously that would be a write-off that they that see would be able to cope with. I'm talking about players like Shaw and Rashford and Fernandez, who we'll all accept are high performers in the United team. But if you've been very critical... And we should do on a night when we've lost in the Champions League. Look at those players and say, would a team, would they feature in a team that could win the Premier League? And I'm not sure. They could do if the eight players around them were... To a similar of, standard, yeah. Or better standard than them. Because yeah. those players have got in different frequencies of consistency. And... That and those three, well, Rashford and Fernandez, case in point, because shows out at the moment. But um, Rashford and Fernandez are the, the the target men in the team. They're the players who earn the most. The the captain and the top scorer, and you're supposed to look to them to pull you out of the the trouble. And well, I'm not having to go at the performance tonight. I just look at them and I think C wouldn't take them. Would Arsenal have them in their team? I'm not sure if they would. I think that they would probably have other players. I don't know about that, but but I, th- I think the point's fair. Like you know, United have well, in theory. I don't know if whether we have this ambition anymore. In theory, our ambition is to be amongst the best clubs in Europe. I mean, certainly position ourselves like that from a marketing point of view. That's what we want, right? 
a pathway yeah. back to being amongst the elite in Europe. Uh, and then if you're going to be really critical, you say, yeah, who are your best players in the, the team? Can we bring them all up to that level? Can we get better players in order to kick on? And, and like, the question is fair. Would Rashford, Bruno and our other better players get in the top teams in Europe? And, and that's, you know, there's a question mark there. Sure, Rashford at his very best is a very, very high performer. He's not started the season particularly well. Did some good things against Brighton. Did very few good things against Bayern. Bruno, I mean, he's a unique player. Would he fit at City? No, because they don't play with that kind of player. Uh, would he fit at Arsenal? Maybe. I mean, Odegaard's doing that job now. You might say he's a less risky player. But I mean, it's a fair question to ask. And if it's about the pathway for, for growth, there's clearly players you get rid of before them. But then, like, can, that, can that's the point I'm making. At the, the very, very highest. Yeah. It's a, it's, well, the point it's is a that question. They, it's the, the rest of the squad that people are rightly looking at and saying, oh, well, those players ought to be moved on. But United are equally in a bind where they've their top earners and their biggest players are players who aren't always the most consistent. And, and really, if you're really critically looking to move on, those players need to really shape up themselves. And are we seeing evidence of that over the last two or three years? You are in Bruno's because his numbers are always fairly good. And the, the argument is there that around better players, he generally does better. So he can, you've got the limitation aspects on him that you'd say, all right, well, players around him aren't really pulling up any trees. And you put a risky player, the, the, the gigs argument, I'll call it that you put a player in. Will take a risk, and I've, I know I've made that point on this pod before. And then you can carry a player like that because what they bring to you is worth the odd frustration. And Fernandez is in that category. But when you don't have players, well, you were saying it earlier about an honor hitting a brilliant pass, and then someone else tries a Hollywood pass, and then the entire move breaks down, and they've got the ball back. So everything that you've just got from the goalkeeper, you've given straight away. And Bruno is that kind of player, and I, I love him for what he brings through that. But when you actually need the team to be kind of sensible in possession in order to kick on, yeah, it makes him like it's, it's, it's a strange it's thing. It's funny when uh, he first signed, and I remember having a, a good-natured debate with Paul on this here podcast about Bruno and my argument at the time. And uh, please, someone correct me if I'm... I'm not, try- I'm not trying to make a point, by the way. I'm not subtweeting Paul <laughs> in public here. But I'm just saying, my argument at the time was, I do wonder how we'll feel about him in, in games like the Champions mm. League when we want to try and get some control and and you can't do it with that kind of player. And it was the concern United had when they didn't pull the trigger the summer before he arrived. He arrived in the winter window. Yeah. They didn't pull the trigger in the summer. And it's partly about price, but partly because all the scouting reports had said, this guy gives the ball away 25% of the time. Are we good with that? And and Ollie was building a transitional team in which taking those kind of risks actually makes sense. And and to connecting this to the point you were making earlier about United being a very reactive team, and still are. And Ten Hag wants them to be a possession-dominant team. And he's got players who perform best when it's not possession-dominant. You, know, you want Rashford running into exactly. space. Yeah. And you want Bruno taking risks. And, and, and same with Garnacho, really. He's so direct. Yeah, not that he gets in the team ahead of, well, really, it's only Rashford, isn't it? That's, that's Ten Hag has made that decision. So, so there is an imbalance there and it's a challenge. Um, and anyway, we, 
all of that was to say we are miles behind City, no matter what Richard Arnold says. And you know, he in that interview, in, in at least in the leaked quotes, he he's, you know, he talked about the ownership as well. He said the he said the strategic review is still on, and we'd be better with some certainty. And I I did wonder, seeing those quotes, whether he even knows, because I think we've seen in the past that actually executives at Manchester United don't know the biggest stuff. European Super League, Ed Woodward did not know. Uh, ownership, transfer of control, not sure they'd let Arnold in on the secret until it was done. So I, I do wonder if he even knows there, but he said, yeah, certainty would be good, but it's still in process. Yeah, I mean. Anyway, that's Arnold. Ollie interview. This was fun. Kind of the first one, he'd, big one he'd done two years on from, nearly two years on from leaving. Yeah. What yeah. did you make of it? Um, good on Andy. First of all, for, for getting that fair, fair on both sides on the questions that Andy asked and the way that Ollie answered them. I don't think there's any ambiguity in there. There's nothing I don't believe. I don't think that he's tried to defend himself or anything like that. He spoke the way that I expected that he would. Uh, obviously, a few surprises in there, like the, the three names, three big signings a, a summer that he'd signed up to. You know, obviously that's a, a reveal in terms of the transfer strategy because I don't all right it was happening but you're never sure that that's the thing that's in black and white he said that every player that a manager gets that they want although he then he then did rephrase that and say that Sancho was put to him do you know he was he, he was put as a, on the number one on the list of targets so it wasn't necessarily the name that he chose more more or less, and I think that this is a running theme. The other managers have said this before, where you know that the names were put to them, and then they chose the best names from that list rather than they were able to pick the names that they wanted. Where I think that that might have changed under Tenog through yeah, through, 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 through are, various reports. I mean, hey, what do we think about that? I mean, the 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 the. The best run clubs have split power between the director of football and the the manager on on picking players, don't they? Um, some of them, the manager gets very little say. Like Barcelona, for example. He, I, I'm not going to say they're the best run club because being a billion euros in debt suggests you're not the best run club. But Barcelona, very little say for the manager. Real Madrid, the same is probably true. Bayern, there's tension, as we spoke about yeah. every summer. City... Obviously, it's very driven by Pep and Pep's needs, but there's the infrastructure around him. I wonder whether that would change if he left. So there's a natural tension. There should be. I do worry with Ten Hag that it's gone back too far to being in the manager's control. And I worry for the simple reason that if, like, God forbid, I don't expect this to happen. I really hope it doesn't happen. But God forbid we lose another four games between now and November. It would be very much in the like United panicking sphere of yeah. things. I don't think this is going to happen. I'm just painting a scenario where it could do and get to the back end of November and Ten Hag gets sacked. Next manager, what's he going to do? Oh, I want to ship out all those players. They're not how I want to play. I mean, so that's why you have a director of football to try and create some like consistency and some long term yeah. thinking around the, the squad. So, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not adverse to a recruitment department coming to the manager and putting some names in front of them and saying, what do you think? You do yeah. want the manager of the day to have a veto, I think. Yeah, and I think 
that that is one thing that I, I got from reading the interview is that I, not so much panic, but kind of like, oh, it's a reminder of the existing problems and how those problems started um, under Ollie. If they were never there at all, you know, they might have always been present. Yeah. Sometimes I might have been a little bit blind to them. The one thing I would say, and I know that this is moving on away from the Ollie interview, but just to the point of what you were saying in terms of that trend and what bad results mean in this context, I know financially it means something to get to the Champions League. I don't know if maybe this is because there's an ambivalence from the ownerships side of things at the moment. But even if we do get to, particularly if we even do get taken over, I wonder how much the Champions League actually means anymore for United in this, in this moment in time, because it means the difference of a, a little leeway in how long that they can prolong this. But how does it really, is it critical for a manager's viewpoint? You know, like we were talking a, a year ago that it was critical for the health of the club for them to be able to qualify for the Champions League. And we've seen because of interest and because of other financial tightenings that United are in a bind anyway. They were pretty much scrambling around for money to, to sign Amrabat on loan. And that situation isn't really going to be miraculously helped by continued qualification for the, for the Champions League. It, it becomes miraculously helped by a new TV source of revenue, the new TV deal or, or the European Super League. Those kind of things help the club. But it really yes, says there's the not an order of magnitude difference because of the way they structure conf- contracts with a, a bonus or you could say wage reduction if they're not yeah. in the Champions League. Yes, so that's true. Although I think there's a lot of other stuff that goes with it. The sponsorship and commercial side of things has been flat for years. Even with the, the new Qualcomm furniture sponsor and the renewed Adidas contract, it's not, they are not game changers. The flatness I would attribute and the lack of growth I'd attribute to United being in the Champions League in one in every two years for the last decade. Now, I, I don't think you can necessarily, do, I don't think you can divorce them. Sponsors want the biggest competition, the most, the most visibility and the Champions League does do that. So from the overall health of the club perspective, it's important. I, I just think it's a club where decisions are made badly from the very top. And that impacts on everything. It impacts on everything that the club does. Oli didn't really bring it up, did he? I mean, he talked sort of a little bit about transfer. He, he mentioned uh, Sancho, I think you mentioned. He also mentioned Ronaldo with some regret, I think. It was kind of interesting. He said we had to do it. He's still a great goal scorer. But it, and, yeah. uh, I can't remember exactly how he phrased it in terms of it didn't go quite right at the end. So clearly there's some stuff happened there, I'd imagine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can't not regret that because of the way that it turned out for him. And, you know, we all know the difference between even, I mean, this is definitely hindsight, but we were all definitely saying at the time, if you can find 20 million for Ronaldo, surely you could have found it for a midfielder that we were desperate for around that time. We were all saying the same thing. And and I say that as someone who was excited about seeing Ronaldo and, and I still I'm happy that I got to see him play for us again and score the goals they did and break the records they did. But the health of the club and the health of the first team, we desperately needed the midfielder. And if the money was there, why didn't we use it for that? And I think maybe, maybe Ollie didn't ask those questions as, as assertively as he should have done. 
Uh, and maybe that's the regret. Maybe the regret was he didn't push for that. But then when Ronaldo was handed to him, he was like, oh, well, you don't say no to that. Um, and at that point, he was losing control. He, if he had control, he was losing the control because it, that was not a decision of his making, you know? Yeah. And, and once you had on that, I mean, he, he spoke really interestingly, he spoke of Maguire's character and he spoke very well of Maguire and poorly of the abuse he's getting. So that says mm. to me that he liked the change that Maguire brought into the dressing room and that as, as captain and as someone that he brought in, that there was a certain element of atmosphere that they were all happy with. Yeah. Because of that. And obviously yeah. things have turned sour. Mm. Talking of which, who do you think the three players were that turned down the captaincy? <laughs> Ollie mentioned. I think, did you say two to three players turned down the opportunity to be captain? Yeah, he did. So, process of elimination, De Gea, you would think it's got to be one. One of the senior ones, yeah. I, I don't know why he, he would have said no. He wore the armband on a few occasions. Who else is senior? Like Bruno, but he's taking it now. And there's yeah. Luke Shaw. Um, had been around. I can't imagine that he would have been offered the captaincy. Paul um, Pogba, would he have been offered it? But well, he could well have been because the club would he have turned it uh, down? Well, maybe he might have done. I mean, you go think about the the situation was that, and it's easy to forget that this happened every single month. Raiola trying to form Pogba off to someone. Yeah. And, and United did put a contract on the table for him, didn't they? You know, there was something on there for him to sign. So maybe there was a conversation that was had that said, oh, we'll build this team around you and, and really make you feel like you're the, the yeah, star yeah. of the show. I can see that being being a situation. And then I can see Raiola and Pogba saying, no, we'll just hold out for that free transfer that they were angling for from the second summer hmm. after he came back. That's worked maybe out him. well for you, Paul. Matic, yeah, yeah. Matic, maybe. Was Matic a... It could have been. You might have just yeah. thought, well, I'm only going to be t here temporarily. I, I don't right. know. It's, it's, I don't know. Well, it's good read anyway. Worth it. It, was, it seems <laughs> to be a, a shop for plugging the Athletic these days, but well well worth that read. It's interesting that he... Um, it, it was Ollie that uh, instigated that one, apparently. So he, he he's ready to... I wonder whether he's going to move on, whether this is a, a moment of closure and he can uh, get himself another job. He's All right. A, he said that he's, he's at UEFA, isn't he? He's at UEFA. Right, right. Yeah. So. Yeah, I got Burnley at the weekend. It's, it's Burnley, right? I'm yeah. not making that up. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they got Who one have point. not actually started the the season very well. A lot of praise for Vincent Company for how they played anti dice football and tiki tackered it around the championship last season, but haven't really had the best start to the, the campaign. Yeah, because... Probably they're lacking some of that resolution in the, in the team. Yeah, I mean, this is the the difference between trying to play that football when you don't have the players to do it. Well, what they do at, at a lower level, but at the Premier League level, clearly not. They're always going to find it difficult. But yeah, if there's any team that are going to let you have the ball and build a little bit of confidence at this moment in time, it'll be United. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, and don't get me wrong. I, I always think like whenever I hear myself saying things like that, I always think like it's the footballers, the football fans curses that every, every decision goes against their team. 
and every manager that gets sacked just before their team plays them. You know what I mean? We all think that the worst things happen to our team. But United at the moment are on such a run that you can imagine them allowing Burnley to play themselves into confidence. And that confidence will be destroyed the next week, whoever they play against, because they'll get they'll get a beating and they'll realise that they can't play like that. But United, um, they do have this habit that I really thought that they'd grown out of, of playing down to a level or up to a level. It, it, like tonight was the case. It, it didn't look like they were a million miles away if only we hadn't seen it all before. And I think that that's what we'll see again at the weekend. I can't see any reason to disbelieve or di- that the pattern will be disproved. You'll see a tie game where Burnley look a lot better than what we think that they should look and what they have looked so far because United will... I don't know if United have got the wherewithal around them. If they're feeling sorry for themselves, maybe there's a lot of that going on at the moment that, they, that everything around the mood is so bad that they do feel sorry for themselves and they won't yeah. have that sort of kick up the jacks. It's sort of say, no, we actually need to... And it's to- away from home as well. And the records, yeah. it's not... Well, I mean, it's the record against the top half of the table. That is really bad, but yeah. But increasingly against everyone away from home. It's just that yeah. seeped into a pattern now. And things, little things like, you know, eight o'clock on a Saturday night, that things like... Anything that might feel like it's unfamiliar for our players, they'd be like, oh, well, I'm not sure about this. And and Burnley, on the other hand, will be like, you know, they'll be rocking turf more, will be up for it. They're not going to be bothered about the time of the game. Um, they'll be seeking that sort of record of putting United to the sword for four, four defeats yeah. in a row. And grim, four defeats in a row, I mean. Oh, God, it would be grim. The, the eight o'clock on the Saturday night, I think we're going to have to get used to a lot of weird times for football. Not, not obviously not this year, but when the new cycle comes around in 25, they're almost certainly because there's no real, there's no, I don't think they're going to drive a brand fresh new market. I don't think the tech players are suddenly going to get into this and the way they'll stave off a big downturn in the, the broadcast rights is by offering more games and those games will have to come. Yeah. Not in the blackout, so I think we'll see weird things like eight o'clock on a Sunday night. You know, all the super friendly kickoff times for fans yeah. will happen uh, because they're just going to have to find more slots. But yes, eight o'clock on Saturday—pretty weird time for a football game historically. Yeah, I can't imagine it going very well. I can't. I'm sure that United have played a few of these weird kickoff times and. I'm, I'm pretty sure in, in recent, like I'm talking like recent last couple of seasons and it never goes well. It never goes. And not, not, not that Saturdays at three o'clock tends to go well at the moment either. Um, so yeah. Well, we take uh, a goal from I'm, anywhere right now. A win and a goal from anywhere. Yeah. That all, uh, it doesn't really matter. Any, any way of winning. I don't care if Andrea Nana throws it into the net or the ref, it bounces off the ref's head, whatever. In fact, if it boils yeah. some piss, all the better. Uh, Mindy, yeah. did you see the goal in uh, on Tuesday night? So Lazio's equaliser against Atletico yeah. Madrid. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful. Take that, that. I mean, you, you, yeah, definitely. And then on, I'd take a one, no, I wouldn't because it's so pessimistic. I'd say I'd take, I'd take that 1-1 one, one with Anana scoring in the last minute. Do, do you know what I like about that is that you could almost telegraph how that was going to happen because as soon as the player sets up to cross, the goalkeeper makes the best run. And it's one of those things where... Brilliant man run. Yeah, yeah, it's just fantastic to watch. 
you look at that and you just that's one of those thing, things where you look at it and say oh he's going to score you can tell from the moment he pings the pass mm. yeah great in fact more goal scoring prowess than we saw from Val Vegos all last season so maybe <laughs> well, if, we're, true, if we're struggling in January the Lazio goalkeeper might be a good stri- uh, striker <laughs> to bring on Mind you, if that was Andre, he would chest it, do a couple of keepy uppies, and then ping a 60-yard pass back out to the wing, wouldn't he? So, oh, well. All right, (laughs) folks. Sorry this is another downer. It's not our fault. It's not our fault. It's like pointing the fingers of blame somewhere else here. But hopefully, fingers crossed, any, any kind of victory on Saturday, it doesn't really matter at this stage. No expectations of a rousing... But City went there and won 3 0, didn't they? Don't have an expectation of that, just anything. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Any- anything. Bye now.